Welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 6. We'll get started there in a moment. What we have been doing as a church is we have been studying in God's Word what is a disciple? What is a disciple? What does a disciple do? Where do you learn this? (laughs) Because this is very crucial. I mean, we're here for that very purpose, believe it or not, to follow Jesus Christ. Well, how does that happen? You know, sometimes we have religious backgrounds and it's kind of inherited, if you will. I went to, my parents went to church, I go to church. They told me this, and that's what I received. That's what I believe. But what we have been doing is we've been getting into God's word and seeing what does Jesus really say? about following him. That is it. What does Jesus really say? And so in this journey, uh, as I don't have a PowerPoint presentation, I apologize, so otherwise you can see the review that Keith has been doing, uh, and he shows from the beginning, you know, in in Matthew, following Matthew from beginning to end, where the first call to following is is given and to where he is ascending to heaven. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. It's really hard to follow. It's really hard to go and make disciples if you don't have a clear understanding of what that is and what the call is. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at Matthew and we are continuing that today. Keith went through Matthew 5, and we're going to pick up in Matthew 6. I don't think there's any way possible for us to cover all of Matthew 6. I mean, I feel like I would probably be skimming if we did. We're going to try and do a lot of it, and we'll see how far we get. How's that? So if you're there, please, please follow along. Okay, please read as I read. We're going to read the chapter and then we're going to start in the beginning. And I wouldn't call what I'm doing preaching. I think what we're going to do is look through God's word together and we'll we'll look at what some of these things mean and how we can apply this. Okay? Or maybe that is preaching, I don't know. So In Matthew 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, Prepare, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So this is where we're going to spend our time today. There is a lot here. There really is. And when you, when you read this and you sit in it for a while, there is a lot to be thinking about with your life. What do I think about this? Am I doing this? Is this the way I live? So if you go back up to verse 1, and you look at what he's saying, notice he's talking about giving and praying in this passage. He tells us how to not do it, and then he tells us how to do it. So there is a right way and a wrong way to pray, to give, to fast. There's motivations. There's, he's giving us instructions as disciples of how to behave, how to think. And that's really important. So he says, 
beware. Beware that you're practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Beware if that's what you're trying to do. And it's really easy, I found for me, I'm only going to speak for myself, when someone tells me to beware of something, that's where all my focus goes to. Okay, beware, watch out, and rightly so. Okay, rightly so. I do need to be aware. But then he is saying, since he's saying a wrong way and a right way, if you just stay focused here, then you don't hear the message of the right way. Hmm. Does, does that make sense? You can still focus on avoiding. Oh, I, I'm not going to give. <laughs> I don't want to be like that person and receive no reward. I'm not going to give. Isn't that weird? That, that's kind of how... My brain thinks, and so I'm, I guess I'm saying I'm weird. But that's part of exactly what can happen when you just laser focus on one thing and forget about the other. So he says here to practice righteousness. He's talking about practicing righteousness. Practicing your righteousness is good. That is a good thing. You have to practice something to get good at it. So Jesus assumes in this scripture that we will be giving to the poor and to the needy. There's an assumption that that's what's going to happen. If you would turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to read a little passage. My intent is not to give instruction about how to give. Though Jesus is giving that here, but not all of it. There's a lot that you can study about giving. But what he's warning us is about our hearts. He's warning us about where we're coming from when we're giving. There, he specifically mentions hypocrites. So here's some instruction that Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. He says... The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So Paul is giving some instruction to the Corinthians who were saving up a gift that was going to be given to the poor in, uh, in Israel, in Jerusalem. And they were gathering it from all the churches, and he was giving instructions, and he is addressing the heart. Okay, Jesus is addressing the heart. He's talking about giving to be recognized, giving for to be looked at. Okay, and here we have instruction on how to give appropriately. God loves a cheerful giver. That's what I want to imitate. Yeah. So when he's talking about this, 
there's this added, there's, he is sharing that this is, a, this is how you live. If you, if you sow sparingly, in other words, if you hold everything tight to yourself and you're not scattering, you're going to reap very little. That's just the position of life. And he's saying, look, you can't get a harvest if you haven't been sowing seed. And then he's telling us that God will take care of it. He will enable us to give, no matter what our situation is. He will give us everything that we need. Do you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. He will give you everything that you need and more so that in all times you can give to others. But we get in our own way. We get in our own way with this things. We borrow money. We overspend. We don't deny ourselves. And we don't prepare ourselves to give. Right. I've been in that situation. I have misspent the money that God's given me in order to be generous. I've had more than what I've needed and still not be able to share. Isn't that crazy? I think the call here is for us to arrange our finances in such a way to get us into the position to where at any time we have something set aside, that we have discretion to be a blessing to someone at any given point in time. That would be awesome. What if we all were in that situation where we could do that? What kind of congregation would that look like? That would be amazing. But our culture says you take care of yourself first, and then if you have anything left over, then you can do that. But that's not the attitude that's being shared here. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. My heart is, I just want to help. I just want to take care of people. And as I say, this is very challenging because for so many years in my life, that has not been how I lived. I put myself in debt. I misspent the funds and the the things that God had given me on me or on foolishness. Just foolishness. And I wasn't able to be generous at all times. In fact, I would be tempted not to give at all. So I'm sharing this because practicing your righteousness, that is where I'm talking about. You have to practice this. You have to position yourself. You have to discipline yourself to be in a position to where you can do something like this. It doesn't come natural. We don't come necessarily from this is what I aspire to do. Rather, we come from, I aspire to make myself happy by accumulating wealth and having experiences and doing exactly what I want to please myself and perhaps the people that love me. And I love That's the world's way. Right. So, let's look over in 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, what I'm focusing on, and we'll get right back into the text, it's related, okay? I hope you're seeing the connections here as we go through this. 
But what I didn't want us to lose sight of as we're looking in Matthew 6 is practicing your righteousness is being a disciple. When you practice your righteousness, what that's trying, what you're trying to do is be like Jesus. It takes practice. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, he's talking to Timothy, Paul is, and he's telling him how to behave, what he needs to say, how he needs to think, how he needs to act in front of the Ephesians who he's trying to lead. Okay? So he says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, you can focus on doing something and working on something and other people see it and it not be hypocrisy. Okay? Remember, that's where he was warning. Jesus was warning them not to, to be showy about giving yeah. when they're practicing righteousness. Well, you can set an example for believers and that's not wrong. Right. Are you following me? Yeah. You can live a life that is an example of obedience to Jesus Christ and an attempt to imitate him, and that is good. That is practicing your righteousness. And it can save yourself and your hearers. And it can encourage your brothers and sisters when they see your very life change because you're putting into practice what you've been commanded to do. They see a difference. I wish sometimes we could see clearly in each other. Now, I'm not saying we're not, but sometimes we're just not observant. To watch someone's walk with Jesus and see the changes they've made. It's so encouraging. If you take the time to look, people who are trying to be like Jesus, you can see the difference. Because they keep growing. They keep repenting. And you see the change. And when you know how they were before and you know how they are now, it is so encouraging because it's the power of God. Amen. It's awesome. So imagine if you purposely, intentionally decide, I am going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to put these things into practice. And I invite you to examine me as I walk. Because I know I'm going to screw up. It's okay. I'm going to keep walking. And if we're in that kind of fellowship, to me that would be awesome. You must repeat things to get good at it. You must practice doing something regularly until it literally becomes a part of you. 
You can't do some things every once in a great while and then actually be a part of you. You have to work at it. Our motivation is to be like Christ. Our practices are imitation of what is Christ like. It's not showing off. Right. That is not showing off. Yeah. What it does is it points people to salvation, to hope. Look, if that Steve Galbraith can change, I can change. Hey. Amen, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So then you get inspired. Turn over to Jeremiah 9. <laughs> and we'll complete this, this thought here. In Jeremiah 9, what's interesting to me in verses 23 through 24, the scripture says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So let's get back to our text in Matthew 6. It's related. This is interwoven what I'm trying to share with you. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. If you give money to get noticed, if you're doing it in order to attract attention to yourself, you are not acting like Christ. And you will have no reward from God. That's a hard issue. Yeah. But nothing's changed from this time. I want you to imagine, you know, what do you see? You see people with a giant check, right? They got this giant placard check, $1,000. Here, here it is. I give this to you. <laughs> well, there you go. You got your attention. You got on the newspaper, whatever. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> and it seems kind of silly, but yeah, we do that kind of stuff all the time. Hey, did you know I did this? You don't need to do that. That would be a reward. You know, today we have a new phrase that's come out in the last couple of years. Virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. Have you heard that? That phrase... All right, well, I have to look it up too, so I'll share with you the definition. Right? So virtual, <laughs> virtue signaling is this. It's when you express publicly your opinion or your sentiments or give money intended to demonstrate your own good character or social conscience or moral correctness on your on a position or issue. Okay, so it's like... I do this. Look at me. I'm awesome. And that's what that's what is going on in our society quite a bit. Look at me. Look at what I do. Look at how I'm doing this. I'm on the right side of this thing. I'm on the right side of that. Aren't you proud of me? I'm, we're all together. Don't be angry at me. And it's like, look, that's about you. What we're talking about is glorifying God. 
That's the difference. If it's about you, then you're not being a disciple in the situation. So, I hope that makes sense. God sees us. He knows us. He knows and he will reward our good conscience, our good efforts. So let's move on in verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So it's really interesting. Jesus is going through a series of things, and He's saying, here's how a hypocrite behaves. Watch out for it. Don't do like that. Because they've already gotten their reward. But if you do this, then God will see it and he will reward you. Well, what do you think we ought to choose? <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. But what's really interesting is it's really hard to, to see if your heart's self-focused. It's hard to see. Sometimes when it's all about you, you haven't taken the time to see that it's not. It's really, does that make sense? It's hard to come to a realization if you're in that place that something's wrong and to get out of it. The key here, the warning I think for anyone, let's talk about praying in public, you know? It's not socially acceptable in our society for us to be out, except at a ball game perhaps, and even that is publicly praying in front of people. That's becoming less and less acceptable in our society. So it gets harder for us to, to understand what that behavior would look like in praying in front of other people. But if you're in that situation, you need to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I praying in front of other people? What's the purpose? Does that make sense? So even if I'm up here and praying, it isn't about, it isn't about my voice. It isn't about the wonderful words that I can recall or quoting a scripture while I'm praying. What is the purpose of me being up here and praying? My purpose is to pour out to God what's on my heart. What are the needs? What are, the, what are God's people need right now? Not to get attention to myself. You know, I even think sometimes in... Have you ever gone over to someone's house and they, they pray for a meal and it's kind of like good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. <laughs> you know, it's something trite, something silly, 
And, and I, I look at that and go, well, why did you bother? Right. Now, what you are talking to your creator, the one who made you, the one who is able to literally answer your prayers, the one who has your life within his hands. Where's the reverence? Right. Where's the respect that is due him right. when you pray? You know, sometimes we just joke around in our prayers publicly yeah. in front of groups of people. Yeah. So we're either being disrespectful or we're, uh, and what Jesus is talking about, trying to draw attention to ourselves. Oh, wow, that was eloquent. Oh, that was magnificent. That's not the purpose. The idea here is to show God reverence. We want people to see who God is. Yeah. That he is awesome. I hope I'm making sense on that. I think that that is something. Have you seen those things? Have you observed that? Have you done any of that? I have. I've been goofy and praying. I mean, these are things that I think we, have, we need to think about. When we pray, we should praise, confess, make our request, and not draw attention to ourselves. In fact, Jesus goes on and he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He says, here's how you need to pray. And it's interesting, it's very short. He says, I know you. I know what you need. I am aware of what's going on in your life. I know what you think. I know what's in your heart. You don't need to say a lot. But what you need to say is what's important. And so when he's given us this example, he says, Our Father in heaven, let your name be kept holy. That's what he's saying. Let your name be kept holy. May your name be treated with reverence. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God I want to be in your kingdom. I want your will to be done. I want to be aligned with your will. I want the whole world to be aligned with your will. That's a deep prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Please take care of my physical needs. Take care of what I need. I put that into your hands, God. Forgive us our debts. Lord, I am a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I owe you a debt I can't repay. As we also have forgiven our debtors, forgive me as I have forgiven others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Protect us, Lord, from my evil desires, from Satan's schemes. That's a deep prayer. And, you know, Keith has taught a lot on this, as a matter of fact. I'm not going to go any deeper than that, but it is a very deep prayer. When you start praying into this, it puts you and me in our place. So let's move on to verse 14, and I think this is probably about as far as we're going to get. 
in verse 14, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow. All right. This is a hard teaching. And let's go through it. Let's find out. Why is this a hard teaching for us? What, is, what do we bump up against with this? And I think part of it is reframing this just a little bit. I have to do this in my mind as I'm thinking about it. It's like, why would I expect God to forgive what I've done to him and I not forgive what others have done to me? Does that make sense? Why would I expect God to forgive me, but I don't need to do that with people who have done the same to me? That's still hard. It's a hard teaching because we don't see the equivalency. This does not equal that. You know why? Because I'm not such a bad person, but that person who did that stuff to me is... I'm pretty good. I'm a good guy. That's where we fall into our issue. We do not understand us before God. That is the tough part for us. That's why we struggle so much with forgiving because it's hard for us to truly see our sins as they are before God. We struggle that what we have done is worthy of punishment or death. I mean, it's really hard sometimes to believe that. I'm a church-going person. I do pretty good. I don't kill anybody. And we start narrowing the focus to just those people mm. yeah. who are bad. And it's really hard for us to see our sin. We think, how have I hurt God? How have I disappointed Him? And we purposely push the guilt away from us. Yeah. Because in our culture, guilt is bad. Right. Feeling bad is not good. It must be something wrong about it if something makes me feel bad. Mm. And we avoid it. True. And that's how we don't forgive other people. Let's delve into this because I think what helps me to grasp my sin, I, I am constantly amazed at my incredible ability to rationalize my life <laughs> and my past and make it to where because it's in the past so much of it that I'm no longer guilty. My guilt is gone. Yes, I've been forgiven. But I think you understand, I did those things. Right, yeah. I do those things now. Let's look in Romans, and we're going to read just a section here to help us. Because Paul nails this down. Our human condition, that we're all the same. We like to think we're something special, but in God's eyes, we're very much the same. Yeah. Beginning in verse 18, he says, 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to them, him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish in their hearts. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. He goes on. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with men and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Can you read this and come out unscathed? Can you read this and go, that would, none of that described me? Why, well, I was never disobedient to my parents. <laughs> Right? Really? And for him to say these all equal deserving of punishment. I'm guilty. I've lived my life this way. I'm guilty. That is my reality. It's your reality. Yeah. If you choose to acknowledge the truth. Yeah. We've been unfaithful to God. We have loved other things over him. We have been immoral. We have lied. We have hated people. We have hurt people. And yet we try to avoid feeling the guilt. Yeah. We try to avoid accepting responsibility for our thinking behavior. The world tells us that feeling bad something, it must be wrong. Right. And the world actually approves of such behavior. Now here's the deal, folks. 
It's the acceptance of our guilt that leads us to repentance. That's how this comes to a good effect. If you accept the guilt and acknowledge it and it cuts your heart, then it moves you towards repentance, which is change. A change of mind, a change of thinking. Guilt without repentance leads to death. It leads to hard-heartedness. We have to lie to ourselves. We have to have thinking that becomes futile. Our best thinking is like, oh. That's what happens when you know the truth and you act as if it isn't true. Repentance is what leads us to God. God then heals what we ourselves have broken. That's amazing. That's good news. When we repent, the healing begins. But it seems like we have an infinite capacity to rationalize our behavior. Holding others accountable for what they have done, but not ourselves. That's what's going on when we can't forgive others what we've been forgiven. It's interesting that in our hurt for what others have done to us, we want justice. We want punishment. How dare they? And we want that to be dealt with, don't we? But we don't want God to do that. But let's be real. I mean, this is really hard. This connection points. We've got to talk this through and think this through because the reality is some of us have been abused physically, emotionally. Some of us have been hurt in countless ways. We have been lied to. We have had things taken from us. We have had ourselves hurt or the people we love hurt. And we can hold a person accountable for that. We know who it is. And that is hard to reconcile because we have these intense feelings and then we can't realize that God does too. Romans 1 talked about the wrath of God. So, how do you forgive someone? If you have felt that, how do you forgive someone? God's response is this. Your sins deserve punishment and death. You have treated me this way, though I am your king. And I am the judge. I'm going to deliver justice to those who don't repent. That's what God's going to do. Both to you and to those who hurt you. The same. Because he is king. And he is just. But he is willing as your king to forgive your sins. He is willing as a just God, even though he's just, to forgive us. And he calls us to imitate him in doing so. That is amazing. 
said, if I as a just king, though I am angry and have wrath towards your behavior, which is deserving death, and willing to allow you to repent, I will forgive you. You do the same. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I think we need to stop here. <laughs> this is a lot more. We're going to stop here. And we're going to go ahead and have our communion because I think that this is a good place to have that. Because when you think about that our King has provided a way for us to experience grace, to experience this forgiveness, to, though we deserve punishment, if you can connect with that, though I deserve punishment, we can repent, and now we can live a life to where we're aligned. I'm aligned with my king. I'm following him. I'm in relation with him. He loves me. I love him. And we're walking together. Yeah. That is the gift. That is the blessing that we have in being a disciple of Jesus. The sad thing is, is there's so many people who are not in that situation that can even be sitting here and have a religious background but have not repented or not followed. So I urge you to go back and look through these things, think about these things. And as we're taking communion, let's connect with this. It's okay to acknowledge I'm guilty. And it is a wondrous relief to know that you have been forgiven. That's the release. That's the good news. I am forgiven of this. Now I can live a new life purposefully. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.